Online security, cybersecurity, who do you know that doesn't want to know how to protect themselves from hackers? Well, we all do. And today's guest is going to share with us how we can all protect ourselves online every day, whether it be on your computer or on a mobile device. You know, it's probably not as difficult as we all have a tendency to think, but it's really necessary for us to do. Well, we're going to get some great advice today. everyone. Hope you've been having a wonderfully creative week. I'm Ron Jones, and we celebrate what people love to do creatively by giving them a voice so you can learn from their experiences in life. Hi, and I am Angie Jones. Welcome to Thought Row Podcast. We invite you to subscribe wherever you listen, and we focus on sharing with everyone how they can think, be, and live more creatively with their own passions. Angie, Who's going to give us some valuable tips on how to handle our online security? Well, today we are going to be speaking with Robert Bechet, and he's the director of cybersecurity for a major company. He's been at the forefront of helping companies with their online security for quite some time now. Yeah, you know, and I understand that he's going to give us tips on how we can protect our personal information, which seems to be a huge problem now. Well, that should be really helpful. And I have something for you. Is there such a thing as a quote for cybersecurity? (laughs) I'm anxious to hear what you managed to come up with today for your quote. Well, actually, yes, there is. And there were quite a few because when I was researching and looking and um, seeing what might resonate, um, I really liked this one. And here it goes. Hackers are breaking the systems for profit. Before, it was about intellectual curiosity and the pursuit of knowledge and a thrill. And now hacking is a big business. And this quote, or yeah, it is a quote, is by Kevin Mitnick. And let me fill you in on a little bit about Kevin, because it's really interesting. He's an American computer security consultant, author, and a convicted Hacker. Really? Yes. And he's best known for his high profile 1995 arrest and five years in prison for various computer crimes and communication related crimes. And now he's a cybersecurity consultant that helps companies protect themselves. And I can't think of a better way to understand hacking than by hiring a hacker. Yeah, for certain. And I suspect he's having a much happier life now. Oh, yeah. It's a great uh, topic to discuss. And Mm -hmm. you picked what I consider to be the perfect quote. (laughs) Unfortunately, just about everyone has had an issue with online security. And many times it was caused by a hacker, for sure, Mm -hmm. impacting a company that has our personal info. And we had no control over that. Gosh, so true, Rod. You know, big companies get hacked. You lose your personal info and you had no control over it whatsoever. So aggravating. But so let's bring on an expert and hear what he has to say about the things we can all do to protect ourselves online. Okay, so let's listen to what Director of Cybersecurity, Robert Bechet, has to share. 
Robert, welcome to the Thought Row podcast. You are an expert when it comes to online security issues. And that seems to be on everybody's mind today when you say, I'd say, hi, Robert. This is such a timely topic that virtually everyone has to address in this day and age. And I'm so glad we're going to be chatting with you today. It's good to be with you today. Okay. So before we start the interview, we always like to ask our guests what they had for breakfast. So what did you have this morning? Ooh, breakfast. Um, I actually skipped breakfast this morning. I tend to do that from time to time. Um, I had an immunity shot, though. Oh, okay. uh, Turmeric, probiotics, just got them yesterday. It's pretty good. Oh, that's wonderful. Very healthy. Lots of energy. And you don't have to sit around and use a knife and fork. No, that's true. You just drink it. (laughs) So, Robert, why don't you share with us where you're originally from and where you grew up? Yeah, um... So I was uh, born in Egypt, uh, raised in uh, Cairo, Egypt, Um, moved to the U.S. in uh, 2000. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, kind of split high school, left Egypt and right in the middle of high school. Oh, wow. That's Um, a big change. And so, yeah, it was... uh, so it was, when you it came, was an interesting move at first. Yeah, I can I imagine. Bet. When you came to the yeah. United States, where did you live? Uh, lived in California. Uh, stayed with family at first. Uh, I was all in Southern California. Um, started off in, it was Covina. Mm-hmm. Um, then moved to, I think the other place that was also in Covina. Yeah. So Covina Southern, to Covina. So to Southern Montclair, California. Yeah. All of Southern California. <laughs> That's good. At least you were not somewhere yeah. where it was really cold and, and very different from Egypt. No, the, the transition weather-wise, it was a lot more pleasant in California <laughs> than it was in Egypt. That's so true. Yeah, for sure. Also, it's my understanding that you uh, went into the U.S. military. Tell us about that. Yeah, I did. I did. Um, so that was uh, a little bit later. Uh, I think it was in 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, went into the Air Force. Um, most of my time in the Air Force was in the uh, reserves. Um, did uh, what we called air transportation support. Mm-hmm. So we loaded, offloaded, and balanced the uh, cargo aircrafts. You know, has nothing uh, to do with cybersecurity at all. Uh, no, <laughs> no, but, but, no, but people want to know your history. You know, your though. history. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. so seeing how you were relatively young when you lived in Egypt or until you came to the U.S., do you have a favorite? Childhood memory from living in Cairo? Egypt, yeah. Um, hmm. I think the first one that pops in my head is, uh, sounds kind of silly now, but my brother and I used to um, go to this park. Uh, we'd take the bus. I think it was about 10 or 15 minute ride on the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would uh, catch frogs. It was full of frogs that park <laughs> we got really really good at it and we'd compete see who catches more frogs and end of the day we let them go but uh that was a lot of fun it sounds like a childhood memory yeah. somebody would have in america especially if they lived in the south that's right if you're nearby a stream or a, a river you would definitely go frog catching yeah for sure yeah so that's yeah. A, that's a good memory that's for a really sure. sweet memory. and plus you got to do something cool with your brother you, you know mm-hmm. it's always yeah. good to do some brother bonding That's do you only sure. have one sibling then one one uh, just a brother yeah okay. older and i guess he's here in the u.s too huh yeah he's here as well we all moved together 
Okay, cool. All right. Well, now we're going to get into the reason we have you on the podcast. Yes, definitely. All right. Well, we know that you have a formidable knowledge in understanding the vulnerabilities everyone faces almost daily, and especially in trying to protect their personal and business identities and information. What was the driving force behind you moving into this occupation? Um, I would say it was kind of a natural progression. Um, gradually uh, started, I think, when I was still in Egypt in the uh, early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was first introduced to computers on in a book. We didn't have access to computers, but mm-hmm. um, I would program on paper. Oh, and then wow. whenever I can get my hands on a computer, then I would type it in and see if it works. Oh, really? um, oh that's really interesting. Then, yeah, eventually, I think when I was 13 or 14, my older cousin gave me his old computer. And that just opened the floodgates. And um, if, if that didn't happen, I have no idea what I would be doing today. Because it just it fit my, my mindset and, mm-hmm. you know, what mm-hmm. I... It, fit me perfectly i don't know what else i would do um so yeah when we uh moved to the u.s i kind of took a break from um computers um until i kind of started learning english and then i got back into it got a few jobs and call centers doing tech support and things like that mm-hmm. um yeah eventually just kind of worked through all of the different aspects of technology i did software development uh, i worked with computer hardware and um, um, earlier on in my career, cybersecurity wasn't as prominent. So mm-hmm. it was primarily whomever did the IT work, did the security. Mm-hmm. Eventually, as the company got bigger that I worked for, um, that started becoming more and more of an important uh, aspect of the job. And eventually, I kind of transitioned into that full time. Wow. That's, um, that's interesting. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah, it kind of just evolved as you were, you know experiencing your job and um, learning with the computer um, early on. I think it's very interesting, though, that you started out figuring out computers just by reading about them and then kind of practicing Mm -hmm. on paper. I bet when you first had the opportunity to work on a computer, that must have been pretty exciting for you. It was mind blowing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was in retrospect, it was such simple stuff, you know, like work for half an hour to draw a line on the screen. Um, but at the time it was so exciting. There was nothing else like it. It was magical. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm going to ask you a question about the word hackers or hacking. We all hear that word. We've heard, I mean, everybody hears the word, especially when someone we know says, Hey, I've been hacked. Uh, what does that word actually mean? Hacker. Um, so a hacker is just anybody who's trying to get unauthorized access to your data. Um, that could be um, just to view it, could be to alter or delete the data mm-hmm. as a way to harm you. Uh, they can hold the data hostage for ransom, which we all heard of ransomware. Right. Um, and it could be, you know, from the big nation sponsored hacking groups to your neighbor's kid trying to get on your Wi-Fi. Um, so it's a pretty generic term, uh, but it's, yeah, anybody trying to do something that they're not supposed to be able to do. Well, there seems to be a lot of it going on, too. Well, yeah, you hear that yeah. no matter what. Like you said, somebody trying to hack into your 
Wi-Fi or even on Facebook. I've been hacked and they start using someone's profile. It's kind of interesting that you can do it on a variety of levels, really. Yeah. Well, you know, a day doesn't go by when most people get at least one call from a source that's obviously a scam call. What is that all about? Why are we getting these calls and how are we getting these calls? So I mean, it comes down to bad people just trying to get your money. Mm-hmm. Um, and as one door closes, they try to find some creative way um, of getting your money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the phone calls is primarily um, the, the most effective method of the, the scam calls is um, using scare tactics. Mm-hmm. Um, think there is the calling you and pretending to be from the IRS and we're going to take you to jail if you don't pay your, you know, overdue taxes. Right. right. Um, so, yeah. And it's, it's, it's incredible how, uh, how much they've um, like how many calls we get. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, it's honestly, it's a pretty hard it's one of the harder problems for uh, mm-hmm. phone carriers to solve. Um, yeah. Is think about it. How can they uh, effectively block or know who's a scammer and who's not, you know, they can base it on mm-hmm. the volume of calls that a certain number is um, placing. Um, but that could still be legitimate. That's um, true. I guess you know, so. I get calls all the time from my water delivery company mm-hmm. um, if they based it solely on algorithms that would get blocked too um but more recently i know they've added a lot of carriers started adding the um, um consumer reporting option when oh, you get yeah. a call then it pops up on the screen to block it and i think they probably use a combination of the behavior analysis mm-hmm. and combined with what consumers are reporting um and then probably after two or three people report a number as a scammer, then they start blocking it or notifying future users um, with that scam likely caller ID. Okay. Um, is it, yeah, it's just, it, just another, another way. Yeah. Is it important uh, for people to, to report that they've had, are getting these scam calls from, especially if they're repeated from one people or one company. It, I mean, there's, you know, there's a famous one. People joke about it all the time about extended warranty for your car. Yeah. Uh, oh gosh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everybody has um, had that one many yeah. times. I honestly don't know if that one is a scam or if it's just a sales tactic. I always hang up, never follow through to see what it is. Um, but yeah, as far as reporting, um, I would say if it's already coming up on your phone and it's saying scam likely, I just hang up. Um, I, that's what I do at least. If it's a number, a legitimate number, and I pick it up, mm-hmm. or it shows somebody's, some normal person's name, and I pick it up, and it's a scam, then I definitely report those. How do you report them? Uh, it's usually, I'm not an iPhone person, but yeah. <laughs> at least on my device, um, there was an app I installed, and it just gives me an option to uh, report or block. Um, I use T-Mobile. Okay. It was one of the T-Mobile apps. Oh, okay. That's uh, good to know. I'm sure other carriers have something similar. So yeah, check it out. If you have an app, yeah, report it. <laughs> good idea. Yeah, help yeah, the next know, guy. I didn't, 
I didn't really know that. I didn't know that either. I just I just get where it says scam likely because we're iPhone users as well. And so then, you know, it's probably not somebody you want to pick up. No, and you also should clean out your mailbox. Like, oh, because they leave all the messages. They leave all the messages yeah. in there. And then so periodically you need to clean that out because they can eat up a lot of your space. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you know, to date, everyone in America has had their personal data or their information breached. This has come from major companies that you would expect to be able to keep our information safe and private. Yeah, true. Why is this happening and who are these perpetrators? Uh, that's the <laughs> big question. Um, so there, uh, there used to be a saying uh, that there were two types of companies, um, those that have been hacked and those that will be hacked. Mm -hmm. um, that saying kind of changed now, and it's uh, those that have been hacked and those who don't know they've been hacked. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, true. <laughs> so sadly, true. It's probably no way of verifying if that's true or not. But um, it's... Uh, unfortunate. Um, every every system is safe until it's not. Um, and I think that applies to any security system, from a padlock to a computer firewall. Mm -hmm. um, so inherently, like I said, any any system has a weakness. We just it it, it starts off with weaknesses. We just don't know about them. Mm -hmm. Once somebody discovers it, then we call it a vulnerability. Um, there are, I think in 2021, there was about 20,000 reported vulnerabilities, something along those lines. That's a lot. Um, yeah. So, yeah, these are all um, attack vectors or ways that somebody with the means or somebody with the desire to get into your system. Uh -huh. um, these are all potential ways they can get in. Um, so, it's um, yeah, it, it's usually... Not one, not one thing. It's uh, breaches are usually a result of multiple failures. Um, so you know you have um, a company with um, just one poor practice. That's not a big deal. Like let's say they have a password saved on a server. Um, mm -hmm. On its own, it's not a big deal because nobody can get into the server to see the password. But then once another small issue comes up, like a vulnerability and um, I don't know if you heard of the more recent one called Log4Shell. That was a vulnerability that made all news outlets. Uh, it was basically a small piece of code, um, an open source piece of code that almost every piece of software written um, uses as a dependency. It's used for uh, web server logs. Um, so a vulnerability was discovered in that uh, piece of code. Uh-oh. So combine the first vulnerability with that one, and somebody can use the log4 shell to get into a web server. Then once they're in the web server, then they can take advantage of the other weakness where they had a password stored somewhere on the server in a text file or a Word document or something. And then they take that password and they can use it to get into another server. Maybe that server has customer information and they can take all that stuff and copy it out. Um, and a lot of times, uh, the company doesn't find about uh, find out about it until um, hackers go on the dark web and they're starting to talk about it, um, trying to sell the information. Mm. Um, wow! I have so two, yeah, I mean, ultimately, yeah. I think the 
Yeah. Amazing. The second part of the question, I think you were asking who the perpetrators are. Um, and again, it's going back to the, the anybody from the kid next door to the state sponsored hacking groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, they're after data because data can be monetized. That's ultimately um, they, what they want, I guess. Yeah, huh? I guess so. Yeah. 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 I don't know if you can answer this question without revealing secrets of what you do, <laughs> but um, once you discover that that there's a vulnerability, what do you do? What What is your responsibility? Yeah. So we usually have a we have a pretty well established um, uh, vulnerabilities response plan. Um, we do constant, and this is an industry practice. You do uh, two main things, one or three. One, as you're developing systems, um, you have tools that scan the code that your developers are writing to make sure that it doesn't have any vulnerabilities. So that's before it even goes live. So you know it's relatively secure by that point. Mm-hmm. Once it's live, then you do something called a penetration test. So you hire what we call white hat hackers um, to try to get into your system. And if they find any weaknesses or a way to get in that, you know, uh, um, an unauthorized way of accessing your data, they let you know so you can fix it. Um, And then from there, we have automated tools as well that we are using to constantly stay on top of new reported vulnerabilities and automatically scan the systems to let us know. Uh, Once we find something, then it's usually classified based on how severe it is, how likely it is for somebody to be able to use it. Um, and based on that priority, then we go down the list and remediate. If it's a critical issue, um, usually it will be done right away. Um, if it's low or medium, uh, we'll try to put something in place that reduces the risk even lower until we have our you know scheduled maintenance, uh, usually weekly, and then we'll deploy the, the fixes then. Hmm. Wow. That's that's a process yeah. for sure. Oh my it, gosh. It, yeah, absolutely. And this is this is not a once a year type thing. This is absolutely ongoing. Yeah, so um, it's constant for you guys. It's uh, constant. Okay. Wow. I guess you have to though these days the people are always trying to um pierce into your your programs and, and your well, they're information. Trying to get your information and then apparently like Robert said, it's marketable. They can sell that information. Yeah, yeah, so true. And where, before Angie asks you the next question, where do people sell that info? Not that I'm trying to teach anyone. Yeah, are, are, are you? <laughs> um, they, usually, they usually go on the dark web uh, and post it. Um, some hacking groups, they'll just work directly with each other. So they have uh, their own mm-hmm. you know, private communication uh, channels. Uh, but ultimately, end of the day, it's either sold on the dark web or um, sold to somebody else uh, directly. Just a quick question, because I know there's a lot of people that don't probably that listen to us that probably don't know what the dark web is. Could you give us just a real brief idea of what the yeah. dark web's all about? Yeah, it's um, it's just. There are websites that are, um, it was developed, it's called the Tor Network. And it's it's a way um, to be able to um, access other websites within that Tor Network mm-hmm. um, without the source being traceable. 
And it does this by routing your traffic to a bunch of other nodes on the network before it actually gets to the website. So by the time your request gets to the website, it just looks like it's coming from somewhere on the Tor network, but they have no way of identifying where the source is. So it's very attractive for hackers because they can do things and not be able to be um, uh, traced by authorities. Can't track them. Mm, okay. Mm. Yeah. So not traceable, uh, basically. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, some major software companies that we often have a love-hate relationship with, like Microsoft, has had major security issues. In your line of work, how does that affect businesses and individuals alike? The breaches. Um, yeah. So I would say it depends on the company. Um, for some, it's catastrophic. Um, like some of the uh, crypto exchanges that got uh, breached. Yeah. Mount Gox and I forget the names. There are plenty that had breaches. But in those cases, it was... You know, the, their user base lost their cryptocurrencies, they lost their money, they lost their investments, um, and a lot of them just went completely out of business. Um, for others, it's maybe it doesn't have direct impact on the customers in that way, uh, or an obvious uh, impact. Um, maybe their stock goes down a little bit, they get a slap on the wrist, pay a couple of you know, a little bit of fine, 25 yeah. bucks per person that they lost the data of. Definitely not enough, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it definitely varies. Um, for individuals, um, it's um, it's a tough one. Um, just about, I don't think anybody out there, yeah, <laughs> yeah. everybody's gone through some, have had their information breached um, at some point or another. Um, so there's, yeah, for the consumer, there's not, there's not a whole lot you can do, um, about losing your information. What you can do is potentially reduce the, um, the odds of somebody being able to use that information against you. Yeah. We're going to ask you more about that in a minute. I, I wanted okay. to, I wanted to ask you, I'm pretty sure that people that are responsible for stealing people's information have some intended use for it, and you have been explaining what they do with it, but it must be a pretty lucrative operation for these people because they seem to be all over the world. There are certain countries where uh, people get hacked from certain countries, and certain countries have kind of a bad reputation because people are saying, oh, well, this person's from that country, they're trying to become my friends on social media, and then we have a tendency to say, I don't know, I don't trust that person. What countries are, are likely to be the... Oh, yeah, that's a good question. The country, like the, yeah. yeah, what are, what are those countries? The Nigerian prince yeah, stories. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, and in my experience, at least, uh, we're constantly monitoring attacks. Um, so just to give you an idea, in, in one day, uh, we probably have about... Uh, Two, three hundred thousand events happening of people trying to get into our system. Oh my gosh, um, that's a lot. Yeah, a lot of it is just blocked automatically by the firewalls and uh, the systems we put in place. Mm -hmm. But it it keeps track and it logs all that stuff. Um, so by combining the information and looking at it, um, uh, 
in a graphical way or on a, on a map, I would say the majority of attacks come from uh, China, um, oddly Germany. Hmm. Interesting. Not sure why. You wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't think so. No. Uh, Nigeria. Mm-hmm. China, Nigeria. Um, the Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. Where else? I think those are the big ones. Um, like just thinking about the graphs in my head, those are the ones that I'm constantly seeing. That's so interesting that but, they yeah, are. We get, we get attacks from everywhere, even from the U.S. I mean, there's... Oh yeah, there's um, a lot of attempts happening from the U.S. Yeah, there's hackers here. If mm-hmm. nothing else, they're just trying to see how far they can go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. true. They learn how to how to program, and then they learn how to let's try it out. Let's huh? try it out. Let's okay. well, yeah. <laughs> it, it, maybe why not? Right? Exactly. Yes. So, with you mentioned this before, but at the biggest level, I know not too long ago. In fact, I think we talked about it where which impacted the company you work for is when Microsoft had a, a huge security breach and they put out all kinds of, of warnings or told people they need to update this or update that or, or download this. And we also see it from Apple. Apple is always sending an update for your computer, your iPad, your phone, and it's saying a new vulnerability had been detected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we see that happening more and more. It used to be like, oh, well, maybe they might have an update once a year or twice a year. Mm-hmm. Now it seems like they have an update, a security issue, almost every single month. It's very frequent. Is it because they're discovering more or there's just more people trying to do it? I would say it's probably a combination. Um, and there's also the fact that the uh, attack surface, so to speak, has also increased. Um, so before you had... Um, your phone consisted of a phone app, mm-hmm. calendar, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know what else, the, the text messaging and email. Now we have an app for just about everything. And all these apps needs to be, need to be able to do uh, different things on your device, like access your camera or access your microphone. Oh, that's um, true. So that's, those are all ways of, uh, or potential ways of applications uh, that have vulnerabilities somebody can exploit a weakness or somebody could release an app um, that um, intentionally tries to collect information mm-hmm. um, using the built-in features of the phone so because of that increased footprint uh, there is a lot more that can go wrong uh, i think that would result in more vulnerabilities being discovered the more complex the systems get, the more um, the more weaknesses they can have. Probably our telephones are put us probably at most at the greatest risk, maybe more so than a computer or anything else. Is that right? Yeah, I think so, and that's uh, in large part due to uh, people thinking it's safer than a computer, and it's not. Um, a lot of people feel more comfortable opening an email they're not familiar with on a phone as opposed to opening it on a computer. Um, I think that's just, uh, just the perception of it, kind of like the, the mm-hmm. whole uh, talk about Apple not having viruses. That's, uh, that's a myth. Yeah. And people then will have a, tend to have a false sense of security. Um, and when they do, they 
let their guard down and become more vulnerable. Yeah, that's true. We should all be cautious what we open or install app-wise. So, and definitely. Um, You know, what would you advise people to do that want to protect themselves when they're online and still be safe? Um, So I have... There's a few things you can everybody can definitely do. Okay. The, uh, there's there are tons of tons of things that you can do, uh, but there's probably a top three or four that'll cover about ninety or ninety five percent of the okay, potential cool. attacks. Yeah. Um, first one when browsing the internet or just accessing anything on the web, uh, check the URL. Like if you get an email and it has a link. If you hover over the link, usually somewhere on the bottom or somewhere on the page, it'll pop up and show you what the actual URL is. Mm -hmm. uh, Microsoft.com slash document slash something. So if the link is supposed to, you expect it to take you to Microsoft.com. Instead, you hover over and it says Microsoft-com.imhackingyou.com. Oh, gosh. Then if you, you know, some people will hover and they'll see, oh, Microsoft looks good. But the actual domain here is I'm hacking you.com and Microsoft dash com is what we call a subdomain. Okay. Um, that's so anybody can put whatever word they want on that first part before this, before the dot. Um, so ignore that part and always look at the what's before the dot com or dot net. If that doesn't look right, it doesn't match the URL, don't click it. That's definitely um, a scam. That's interesting. Um, I never knew that. So that's one. Check the URL. Okay. Two, um, use unique passwords. And I know that's that's a very tough one. Um, What happens is, you know, you create a web, uh, you create an account for your coffee delivery subscription um, who is some small company that just started and they have no security staff and no security protocols in place. Right. They get immediately hacked. Now somebody has a list of all of their user accounts, uh, their emails and their passwords. If you use that same password on your bank website as well, then the hackers can go, you know, they have scripts that will run and automatically go to chase.com and try the same username and password. Go to Bank of America and try the same username and password. Go to Facebook and do the same. So if you're using the same password everywhere, you get some low-level breach that has no impact on your data, but then that attacker can use that password to get into your important accounts. Oh, my goodness. So that is that is probably the number one way that people get hacked. Um, just those common breaches that happen all the time, and hackers collect all that information. There are massive lists on the dark web that you can buy for dollars that just have a, tons of emails and passwords. And people buy them and write scripts to just scrape the internet and try to log in and see what they can get. My goodness. Um, but it's it's definitely hard to keep, um, to have, you know, to make different passwords for every website. It's impossible to remember. So... The recommendation there is to get something called a password manager. Um, not going to recommend any certain brands. The audience can do their own research. Right. But essentially, it's just a tool that you download. Usually, it has a browser plugin. Um, 
So there's a little icon in your Chrome or Firefox. Yeah. And uh, so you log into that account once and then it stores all the passwords for you. It'll generate complex, random passwords for every website. Uh, a lot of them will even tell you if, you know, if you have 50 passwords stored in them, it'll analyze it and let you know, hey, these two passwords, these two websites have the same password. You should probably change one of them. Oh, okay. um, so that's a password manager. They're, they're fairly cheap, a couple of dollars a month. At most, or maybe, I don't know, I think some of them are like $20 for the whole year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's definitely worth the investment. It sounds like it. Um, oh my gosh. So that's, yeah. That's Sorry, I'm kind of sort of long-winded answers, but that's no, the same. No, no, they're, they're good answers. They're really good answers. Yeah, We're listening. Answers. And I wrote I, down some, so yeah, <laughs> thank you. Because I, <laughs> I never thought to do that myself. No. We try yeah. to write out more complex ones, and we put them in a book. And then we forget we're where old school. We yeah, have a book that we put them in. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people do this too, but you probably, know. Yeah. probably not the best strategy. No, I like the manager. You know, it's, it's still, honestly, it's better. Writing it on paper is better than using the same password everywhere. I'm not by any means, yeah. you know, telling people to write it. But if you have to choose between writing it and using the same password everywhere, go with writing it. Because um, okay. somebody has to get into your house to see your passwords, whereas if you use the same password everywhere, anybody in the world can um, can take advantage of that. Sure, once they figure out one, and then they it's can, like you can go everywhere, everywhere. The keys to the kingdom, yeah. When so you, we talked about yeah we, the URL, yeah, yeah, the using unique passwords. The third and probably final one is. Um, using a multi-factor authentication. So that's um, using a second, requiring a second method to get into the website in addition to just the password. A lot of them are just, you know, put in your password and then it'll send you a text with a code right. that you type in. Right. That's a form of multi-factor authentication. Using text is not the most secure one. Generally using an app that you download called an authenticator app. Um, Google makes one, um, LastPass makes one, there's a bunch of them, but that one is constantly generating, uh, new rolling codes every 60 seconds or so, kind of like the rolling code garage remotes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that way, if somehow somebody manages to still get your password, um, they still need that code to be able to get it. Okay. So that's your kind of last line of defense. Not all websites support multi-factor authentication, but most of the big ones do. Banks definitely do. Um, most social media platforms do. Um, yeah, so definitely recommend that as well. You can you can opt to do that. I mean, we have two-step verification in a couple of places, yeah. right? Yeah, well, it's becoming more and more, it seems, which I'm okay with because... That way you can kind of protect yourself a little bit. Well, they so, know yeah. it's you. Yeah, they know it's you and other people can't log on. Very good. Yeah. Very good, Robert. Thank you, that was Robert. really good advice. Such and good advice. Things that we certainly didn't know and need to take yeah, no, advantage I, I, of. Definitely. And I'm sure, I'm sure our listeners. Those three things. Yeah, yes, I'm sure. That list- would probably cut out a whole lot of, uh, you know, pain. And worry. Yeah. And worry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Robert, when we were talking the other day, you made an interesting comment about refrigerators and for that matter, other appliances uh, that are connected to yeah. the internet. 
What are the vulnerabilities of these appliances? Yeah. Um, I mean, let me just start by saying your toaster does not need Wi-Fi. <laughs> your toaster does not no. need to know how to talk to your refrigerator. <laughs> uh, True. But um, the vulnerability comes in. We were talking about the uh, refrigerator. How many? The I don't remember how many thousand. Yeah. Thousands of vulnerabilities every year. Mm-hmm. Um, Firefox. That's a huge browser with lots of developers, lots of money behind it. And they still had, I don't know, like over 10 emergency or critical level vulnerabilities last year. And that's a huge browser. Imagine a fridge that they threw some, some developer wrote a couple of lines of code just to be, you know, give it a web being, uh, give it the ability to access the internet. Yeah. And they never look into it after that. They never catch it. They never um, inspect it for vulnerabilities. So, and that doesn't mean that there are no vulnerabilities. It just means that they're not discovered and they're not addressed. So, you know, if if a well-established browser had 10 critical vulnerabilities in a year, imagine what a small one that is not maintained has. And that could just act as a backdoor or a Trojan horse to get into your entire office or home network. Oh gosh, I don't know that anybody really thinks of that. No. They just think it's safe. I didn't know that. Well, you think, yeah. oh, I got a cool refrigerator well, yeah, and I can watch TV out of it. Very cool. Do different things on it. Very cool. Don't get me wrong; it is cool. I definitely want one, but I'll not get one just because of you know. If I wasn't in security, I probably would get one. Right, but you know the vulnerability, so it's it's right. hard to do that. Yeah, I'm sure. And there's probably nothing you really can do to protect it, is there? Um, there are a couple of options, but they get kind of complicated. Um, mm-hmm. You can get a router. Some some more modern routers let you um, selectively uh, enable or disable internet access for devices within your network. So you can have the fridge connected to your Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. but then from an app on your phone, you can control that controls the router. You can tell it, okay, disable internet for the fridge. Um, Oh, okay. Until, you know, you need to use it the one time that you can go on your phone and turn it on and then turn it back off when you're done. Uh, I don't expect normal consumers to be able to do that, but it's it's an option. It's better than nothing. The best option is to just not have (laughs) Wi-Fi if if you don't need it. Oh, interesting. Mm. Wow. You know, I know we were talking about earlier and you gave three really good tips on protecting yourself online. But do you have one like ultra personal tip that you would give to somebody saying, you know, if you're not going to do anything else, do this. What would that be? Yeah, that one thing. That one thing. That's a hard one. Uh, <laughs> a lot of these things kind of work together. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, if, if there is one generic piece of advice is just be suspicious of everything. Um, That's a good if you one. get an email, mm-hmm. you're not sure, assume it's, it's not legitimate. So err on it's the side guilty of Guilty until safe. proven innocent. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to, I guess. Well, we've all had emails that have attachments to them, and then you're sitting there going, should I or should I not? Yeah, you want to click on it, but no. 
don't do it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's not going to, if you don't click on it, somebody that's trying to send you something, they're going to call you up and go, hey, did you ever read that email I sent you? And you say, well, no, no yeah. because it looked to me like it was uh, not secure. Right. So, so you're not you just have that it. conversation. It's no big deal. Right. Yeah. That makes sense, though, Absolutely. Robert. It really does. Well, you know, Robert, in your career, uh, what has been the most egregious breach of people's personal information that you've seen? Because you're you're in it day to day. Entrenched. There has been so many. <laughs> <laughs> so we have. Let's see. You know, I mean, there's there have been quite a bit. Um, there's the Equifax breach millions of people's um right credit reporting information was breached um and a lot of those but honestly uh, people know about that stuff um i think the the more obscure um or in some cases they never make the news um or they're not even considered breaches to begin with but are worse than all these breaches are some of the big analytics companies. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Cambridge Analytica. Um, it's a UK-based analytics, data analytics company that scraped a bunch of data from Facebook and used it to build um, psychological profiles on people. Oh. And then they oh. used that to target and manipulate uh, people's decision. I think there was scandals about it being used in some voting and politics or whatever but all that aside that's one company there are so many companies out there just like it and um, sadly a lot of consumers are just given that data that uh, the companies are using they're given that up willingly um, it just it's they're they're using information in such creative ways that it, it's hard to imagine the harm and you know Pinning your location on, I don't even know what, which app do you use to pin your location. Uh, I don't use social media, so I don't know. But I know, you know, I think Pinterest or I forget. Um, you put your, your location online, like you went and ate food at this place and this time. Uh, and you're incentivized on social media to do that. Um. But all that data, I mean, you can't imagine like what, what's the harm in doing this, but by collecting all that data along with your profile and ads that you tend to click on and things that you tend to skip over, all that information is being collected, analyzed to build a profile to the point where some of these algorithms know people more better than they know themselves. Um, and I think that's probably worse than Mm-hmm. most breaches that have happened. Um, yeah. Just that's, because they're so sophisticated, how do you even know if you're being manipulated? That's so true. That's so true. And I don't think a lot of people realize that they either don't at all. I mean, I they mean don't, you just don't get it. that doesn't make the news media. No. You know, if T-Mobile gets hacked and they say, oh, your information is lost and there's things that you do to protect yourself and then T-Mobile helps you out. But if somebody is getting your personal information and then trying to manipulate how you think or act, yeah, that's yeah, on social media, that's, that's pretty that's not serious. Very cool at all. Yeah, no, but mm-hmm. not to sound like conspiracy theorists, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if news media uses companies like that to analyze and figure out what 
stories to push and what stories not to push. Oh, sure. I, uh, I, I highly suspect they do because, you know, it's all about eyeballs and ears and whatever right. you can do to attract them. And the more salacious the story, I mean, it used to be uh, that old adage about uh, dog bites man is not a story, but man bites dog. That's a big story. So run with it. Yeah. And that's kind of yeah. how things go. You, you know, I, I want to go to maybe something a little bit lighter. Um, I think we need it because our podcast is primarily about what people love to do creatively. Why don't you share with us and our listeners what you do as a creative outlet when you're not trying to keep the world safe from yes. hackers? <laughs> uh, I don't know about saving the whole world. But, uh, <laughs> um, I, I have a few. Uh, I tend to not stick to one outlet for too long. Uh, I've done uh, woodworking, metalworking. Um, right now it's cooking. I'm really getting into cooking. Uh, a good that's a good the Italian kind of foods. Been playing around with New York pizza recently. Um, got that down pretty well so far. Oh, good. Hey, that's a wonderful hobby. You get to eat it and enjoy making it. So double. Absolutely. Double yes. Yeah. <laughs> a, well, good. I mean, that's a great creative outlet. Absolutely. And, and uh, there's nobody that we've ever talked to that doesn't enjoy food. That, right on. Yep. Exactly. So, okay, now uh, I'm going to ask you the question we ask all of our guests, and that is if you could sit on a park bench and chat with anyone from the past, who would it be? Anyone. Anyone. Can I pick more than one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would say Einstein and Mark Twain. That's an interesting combination. <laughs> yeah, it is. But the they, conversation. they actually have a lot of similarities. Yeah, they're yes, both they brilliant in their ways. Why? Let's start yeah, with uh, Einstein. I, that would be kind of obvious, but why Einstein? Yeah. I mean, the, the guy did everything. Um, and, well, it's, I think the, the most impressive thing about both of them, really, is that they were able to take such complex topics and simplify them. Um, Einstein equals MC squared took probably one of the most complex theories that we have and put it in four characters. Yeah. Um, same Mark Twain, very, the, you know, a lot of his quotes, they seem very obvious once you've heard them, but um, they're, they're complex topics or complex thoughts that he's able to um, really deliver in a, in a, an easily digestible way. Um, uh, those are very that's good. That's very, very impressive good. to me. Yeah, I, that, that's a good analogy there because they both made complex topics easily understood, especially Mark Twain and, and societal issues, mm -hmm. you know, how, yeah. we, how we think and all that. And then on the science side, certainly yeah. Einstein. Uh, that's a very great so. answer, a great Robert. Answer, that's Robert. an excellent answer. Love it. Thanks. Well, Robert, this is uh, this has not been a typical show for our podcast, but it certainly has been one that is extremely beneficial for everyone. I I know Angie yeah, and I both learned a lot today. Um, yeah, certainly, yeah, so. Yeah, and you know we live in a day and age where we have so many vulnerabilities. From the minute you open your computer or pick up your phone, 
Uh, and obviously, your phone may be the biggest culprit of all, yeah. as you suggested. But I really appreciate you sharing your expertise. I think this is going to be a really good show for a lot of people. Creative people have the same amount of vulnerabilities that everyone else does. So, exactly. So this is a great one. Thank you for your time. Yes. and thank, My pleasure. Yes. Thanks for having me. We, we have so enjoyed having you today. And, you know, it is timely information. And you were so good at giving us tips and helping us out and having a better understanding of what to look for when it keeps you know, to keep yourself safe online. And um, now comes the time I need to let all of our listeners know. If you'd like to know more about Robert, we will have info for him under the show guest tab on thoughtrowpodcast.com so you can learn more about him. Yeah, that's good. Very good, Robert. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It was good to be on our podcast. I'm really glad you tuned in today. We hope you enjoyed the thoughts and ideas we shared with you. We post a new podcast every week, so remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Also, if you're enjoying our podcast, both Rod and I would really appreciate you buying us a cup of coffee. Just go to thoughtrow.com, scroll down a bit, and you can find that link right on our website on the homepage. It's really easy to do, by the way. Yes, it is. Um, And all the money we receive goes to our production costs. Yep. And primarily because we want to keep our show commercial free and we want to continue to bring you the best quality content with great guests. That's right. Thank you for listening to Thought Row Podcast. So it's bye for now from my husband Rod and I, wishing everyone a great day.